Uh, there's like the cute play on words as a way of witnessing uh, bumper sticker, like maybe you've seen this one. Uh, this car's prayer condition, that's <laughs> cute. Uh, maybe uh, the, the ones that are political and try to give America a talking to, you know, like America needs a faith lift. That's, that's kind of cool. Uh, and then there's like the not so subtle threat stickers, you know, and maybe you've seen some of those around, like I've seen this one. Uh, and you know, it's like a little bit more to the point or this one in case of rapture. I'm not sure reading this bumper sticker is the top priority for you. Uh, then there's kind of the cool reaching out to the drug culture ones, you know, another dopeless hope fiend. Uh, I read it last night and some people started laughing like 30 seconds later, so I'll give you a minute. Uh, then there's like the ones with Christianese where we're trying to reach non-Christians, but they don't speak our language, you know, so they just kind of read it and scratch their head. Like most non-Christians don't use the phrase uh, hedge of protection, you know, but it looks cool on a bumper sticker. A hedge of protection is my car insurance. Seriously, I'm uninsured. Uh, or, or there's like the crazy Christian conspiracy stickers, like, you know, this one, uh, which I think is pretty good. I don't have any bumper stickers on my car because I've never really found one that I, I really like. But there's two. If I could find them, I would put them on my car. Um, the first one is this. I'd love to put this on my car. Sorry I cut you off. I'm a Christian, but I drive like an agnostic. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> if you can find that for me, I will definitely put that on my car. <clears throat> but here's the one I'm waiting for. This is the one I want. Uh, uh, honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you're ready to see him. <laughs> That's right. So, last week we were talking in the book of Ephesians about unity in the church. And uh, we talked about the fact that we are one. We're, Paul says we're one body. We only have one spirit. There's only one hope. We all have the same hope, the same Lord, the same faith, the same baptism, the same God. Paul just says you realize that you are one. Whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not, God has made you into one. Now, sometimes... We hear that and think that one is like the same as uniformity and we all lose our distinctiveness. As we move on in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 verse 7, in fact, Paul turns around and says, even though we are one, we are also every one of us distinct. Every one of us have been made unique by God. And so we're going to talk about that today. So Paul's talking about our oneness and then in verse 7 as we carry on this discussion, he says, but to each one of you. So he had been saying, you know, there's only one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And then he says this, but to each one of us. So now Paul's going to turn around and he's going to kind of put the microscope on each one of us as individuals and talk about our uniqueness. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. That, that word grace literally means a gift. So this is kind of a plan where he says, but to each one of us, a gift has been given to us as Christ has apportioned or measured it out. And this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave, again, gifts or grace to men. So Paul says now to each one of you, something has been given, something special, something unique or different. And the, the thing that he's given to us are gifts, he says. And you might circle that word in your notes. He says, God has given you gifts. He's talking here about uh, something we call spiritual gifts. Now, a lot of times we think about natural gifts or abilities that we're born with. All of us have had uh, some natural abilities kind of encoded in our DNA by God when he, when he made us. Some of you are, are, were born analytical. It's in your DNA. Some of you were born and, and you have an aptitude towards um, m being mechanical or maybe you're athletic or you're good at math or music or something like that. These are abilities that you were born with. Paul wants to talk today about spiritual gifts, 
which is something, an ability that you're given when you become a believer and the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. Our definition for spiritual gifts this morning is going to be this, a God-given ability to serve him and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and believers are spiritually built up. Spiritual gifts. Now, we're going to spend two weeks talking about this, this concept of spiritual gifts in the book of Ephesians. Today, we're going to take a big, generalized view of it, and next week, we're going to take kind of a, a really different kind of, of um, look at this passage, one that I've never heard before in a sermon, and I think it's, I'm really excited about it, and I hope you can be here, but today, we're going to kind of do a flyover. We're going to cover a lot of material, but Paul says this. You need to understand some things. God has gifted every one of you, and to get a handle on that, first thing you have to do is start with the giver of, of the gifts that you have in your life. You need to start with the giver. So in verse 7, that's what he does. He says, now to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has a portion or has measured it out. So these gifts come from Jesus Christ himself, and you receive them at the point of salvation through the Spirit. Now, from kind of an a, a exegetical point of view, Paul does something really interesting in the passage here. In the next couple of verses, he talks about something that almost seems like, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the topic. Paul says this. Now, this is why the Bible says, and he's referring to Psalm, um, I think he's referring to Psalm 80, uh, 68 here. Um, he's alluding to it in the Old Testament. He says, now this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. Now, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Makes perfect sense, right? Paul says, here, well, let me explain a little bit more. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, a lot of times people read that and think, what in the world is he talking about? But remember, this was a letter that was written to some believers who lived in about 60 AD and they lived in Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. Now, when they received this letter from Paul and read it, they knew exactly what he was talking about because it was part of their culture. See, in, in Ephesus, just right outside the city, was one of the, it's considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was a temple that was built to uh, the goddess Artemis or Diana, depending on which language you spoke. And the legend was that this goddess had descended out of the heavens, had touched down and landed on earth on this particular spot. And there she founded a religion in her honor. So the, the, the Ephesians built this temple, this huge, monstrous temple, and they put together this religion that honored Artemis or Diana. And they had this really popular religion. People were coming from all over the region to worship at this temple because, as we talked about in the first week of this series, it was a, it was a different kind of religion. They didn't have priests. They didn't have pastors. They had priestesses, which was code for prostitutes. And when a guy came to worship... At the, uh, at the temple, he would basically get some one-on-one -on -one time with a prostitute. It was a really, really popular religion among men in that area, and it drew a lot of people. Now, it sounds crazy, but this is exactly what was happening. So, so Paul comes along, and he says, so you've heard the whole story about Diana coming down and touching down, and she dwelt there, and they built this whole thing. Paul's like, you understand that's a myth? You understand, in fact, that the whole story was made up and it's just, it's a terrible tragedy. He's like, but I got a story for you. You've heard this. It's even better than that one because this is about a guy who came down out of heaven. His name was Jesus. He came down out of heaven. He, he came down to this earth, to the earthly region, right? He, he lived in a body 
like ours, which was, a, which was an incredibly humbling experience for him. He lived among us. He lived as a man without honor on this earth. We're told that uh, he was crucified, that he was put in a tomb, you know, kind of as, as it were in, in the earth. But Paul says the story doesn't end there. This Jesus was resurrected. He rose from the dead. He conquered death. And eventually he ascended back into heaven. And when he went into heaven, he filled the heavens with his, with his kingdom, if you will. Now, the, the picture that you get here, and if you studied, for instance, history around that time in Roman history, you'll know that when a king would go out and do battle against another nation, and that king was victorious, when they would come back to their own nation, they would usually have this, they would call it a train, it wasn't a, a, a train like we think of, but a, a parade of the army that would come march through the capital, and it would be like a victory parade, and in this parade, as they came back victorious into their capital, they would often have, um, they might have some, some soldiers that had been captured in war or sometime the king and, and, and some of his leaders and they would, they would have them in chains and they would parade them through the middle of town. They would also have some other prisoners. It would be their own soldiers who had been captured at one point in war and then had been set free and, and they had a place of honor as they would march through the city. And sometimes if a campaign went really well, they would reward the citizens. And Rome was kind of famous for doing this. Sometimes they would hold citywide feasts that, 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 that uh, the government would pay for and they would last for weeks at a time. And everybody would come and it would be an all-you-can-eat affair. It would be a big party. Or sometimes they would bring back a lot of possessions from the nation that they conquered and just give them out to citizens. Sometimes it was cash or reprieve from taxes or they would put on events, but they would give gifts to their citizens. Paul's picture here is that Jesus has come down to the earth, been victorious, gone back up into heaven, re-enters heaven with this parade. And in this parade, there are captives. Now, I believe as I study the passage that the captives he's talking about are people that were, that were prisoners of Satan but now have been set free through the cross of Christ. And so they're entering into heaven and God is celebrating with them and it says that he gives gifts to every believer. Now, a question would be like, why would he give gifts to believers? What's that all about? Well, see, he's re-entered heaven. And in heaven, we know that God's kingdom exists perfectly. That is, remember, God's kingdom is wherever God's will is done perfectly. So his will is done perfectly in heaven. But on earth, we understand that God has called those of us who are believers to extend his kingdom, one heart, one soul at a time. That's, that's why we're still here, to expand the kingdom of God and to bring people into a, a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So he has gifted us, he's given us special abilities to do that to deliver the message, to minister to people. And he says this, to each one, a gift has been given. So if you're a believer, God has gifted you. You may not know what that gift is. You may have not experienced that gift in your life yet. But by faith, you need to believe that God has gifted you. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, a spiritual gift is given to each of you as a means of helping the entire church. So God has given every one of us gifts. They come from Jesus Christ. The second thing we notice in this passage in Ephesians is that there are many, many different kinds of gifts that God has given us. Uh, When I was growing up, on my mom's side of the family, there was uh, 10 of us that were grandkids, and every year on Christmas Eve, we would go to my grandparents' house, and they would have gifts for the grandkids. But we kind of knew the drill. My, my grandparents, I don't think, were really into shopping, so they would buy all the grandkids the exact same gift. 
we'd all have the same gift and the same wrapping. So really it was just like a scramble to be the first one to open your gift. Because once someone opened the gift, the, the, you know, the surprise was, the mystery was over. We all knew what we were getting. Now, when it comes to spiritual gifts, one of the things I want to kind of drive home today is it's absolutely not that way with God. In fact, as I study scripture, I really believe that God has given every single believer a unique gift that no other believer has that gift exactly in that particular way. Now, we're going to look at, really quick, three passages in Scripture that kind of list the uh, spiritual gifts that we find in the New Testament. In Ephesians uh, 4, in 1 Corinthians 12, and in Romans 12 are really three gifts of spiritual, are three lists of spiritual gifts. And, and my suggestion would be, and I put this in your notes, but th- I don't believe these lists were given us to be an exhaustive list. I don't think it's God saying, here are all the gifts and this is all there are. I believe this is God's way of saying, here are some sample gifts. These are actual gifts. And there's a lot of different forms of these, but I'm just, God just wants to get us thinking and see what he means when he talks about spiritual gifts. So uh, the passage at hand this morning is in verse 11 of chapter 4, and in here Paul gives us, he starts with five different special spiritual gifts that God gives to people in the church. He says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some as prophets or the gift of prophecy, some the gift of evangelism, and some to be pastors and teachers. So Paul's going to give us five gifts here. And in, in your notes this morning, you'll notice there's no room for, for jotting down some of this stuff. And I'll tell you in a few minutes how, we can, how you can get a good list of these. But he says this. He, he starts with the gift of apostleship, first of all. Now that word apostle in the Greek means a person who has been sent with a commission. Now, Jesus had a lot of disciples at one point in his ministry, but he only selected a small group of men who he commissioned as apostles, and they were given a very specific task. They were to go out and share the gospel um, and to kind of, in an ever-widening circle, to take the gospel to different areas. They were to lead people to Christ, organize groups of believers into local churches, train up pastors, and move on. And God had gifted them to do that ministry. That was the gift of apostleship. Then there was the gift of prophecy. Now, when we think of prophecy, most of us think of somebody who hears God's voice in the middle of the night and then is able to proclaim the future. You know, here, here's the lottery numbers for next week or something like that when we think of prophecy. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, there are certainly instances of that happening without a doubt. But most of the time, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, a prophet was someone who would look at their culture who would look at the word of God and the spirit would open up the word and the culture and these were the guys who would would see where culture and individuals weren't living up to God's word and they were the challengers. They were the people who would call people out on their sin. And and we'll look a little bit more at that next week but these were kind of the truth tellers. So this is the guy who'd walk down the street and say, hey, you know what? I, I saw what you did and here's what the Bible says and you need to get your act together. These are not the guys you call, you know, you invited to your party parties or that kind of stuff, but they were the people who confronted other people to get right with God. Some people have been given the gift of evangelism. That's a supernatural gift to lead other people to Christ. And uh, every believer is called to share the gospel, but those of you who, who have tried this, you know what I'm talking about. Some people 
work really hard, some of us work really hard at leading people to Christ. Uh, if studies are to be believed, about 10% of Christians have one form or another the gift of evangelism. I don't know how accurate that number is, but here's how you know someone with the gift of evangelism, right? Most of us try to share Christ with somebody. Evangelists just kind of walk in a room and fall over themselves and say Jesus, and people are on the floor accepting Christ into their life because they have a supernatural gift of God to lead people to Christ. And the church needs evangelists and we thank God for them. Some people have the gift of pastoring or shepherding is uh, the literal word there. It's people who are able to shepherd or care for, for small groups of Christians or sometimes even individuals. These are people who are good at helping others through life's challenges, through decision-making processes. They're ones who are good at helping uh, people kind of get through hurts and, and, and to live for God. They're shepherds, they're, they're pastors. Some people have that gift. Some people have the gift of teaching. They're, t- they're gifted at teaching the word of God. Now, anyone can teach the word of God, anyone who's a Christian. And probably all of us at times have opportunities to share a verse of scripture, to share a biblical principle, and at that point you are teaching. We can all do that. The difference though for teachers is they've been given a supernatural gift to make the Bible understandable. They have the ability to to bring it to life, to, to produce results. When you hear teachers, usually God does something in your heart and in your life. He opens up the word to you. And again, this is a, a, a wonderful gift that God gives to the church. So here, Paul lists for us five gifts, and he's just trying to get us, go, uh, get us going, get us thinking about what gifts are. Now, over in Romans chapter 12, Paul gives us another list of gifts. So he's going to expand on this a little bit more. So let's look at that for a second. In Romans 12, 6, he says, Now God has given each of us the ability, he's talking about gifts, to do certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out when you have faith that God is speaking through you. So again, he mentions the gift of prophecy. And and it basically means the same thing we talked about before. Someone who's able to call others out and challenge them in their walk with God. He mentions a, a new gift here. He says, if your gift is that of serving, some Bibles use the word of helps. Uh, then help or serve other people well. This word serve in the Greek just means to, be, to meet practical needs of other people. These are people who just love the, what's a need and how can I meet it? So these are the people who will come uh, to church and they'll set up chairs. And, and they, they, they think of it as ministry, which it is. Because they're thinking, if I set up these chairs, then they can have a meeting and ministry can take place and this is my way of helping out. These are the people who like to, you know, help out in the parking lot and help people find parking spots. Because God has given them the desire to help people in a really practical way. And I've watched some of you drive through the parking lot and I thank God for those who help you. Um, you know, that, that these are people who, uh, they, they'll bring a meal to your house. Uh, when you're in need, and they love doing it. That's, that's their gift. Uh, they'll come help fix your vehicle or, or patch your roof or, or serve in the nursery. He goes on again, and he mentions the gift of teaching. Again, if you have the gift of teaching, do a good job at that. If your gift is uh, to exhort others, exhortation. That word exhort in the Greek literally means to come alongside someone. It means to walk with someone, and spiritually it means to be an encourager. Uh, An exhorter loves to come up next to people, they see what's going on in their life, and they look for ways to encourage them. Oh, that was a great thing you were doing. How can I pray for you this week? These are people who love to mentor other people because they see it as a great opportunity to encourage someone in their faith. These are people who love to pray for other people. They're the people who will send you encouraging notes. These are the people who love to be involved in face-to-face ministry with other people, exhorters. Now, the next one is a gift everybody wants. Uh, 
money. He says, uh, and, and this is a strange thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but he says God has given some people the ability, the supernatural ability to make money. But beyond that, this is where the gift gets really interesting. <clears throat> God gives some people the supernatural ability to know the best place to invest money in the kingdom of God. Now I say that because maybe you've known, like I have plenty of people who have invested their money in, in kind of ridiculous ways. Somebody made an appeal on TV or something like that and you know, they sent their money off. But people who have the gift of, of, of money here, these are people who are gifted at making it and, and they're wise about knowing how to invest their money so it'll get the best return in the kingdom of God. If that's your gift, God bless you. Use that wisely. Give generously. Some people have the gift of leadership. Uh, this is literally the gift of administration which of course is the gift everybody wants, right? Because we all want to be those who make flow, flow charts. Well, this means to manage people. They're gifted at organizing groups. They're gifted at putting together events, ministries. Uh, they're good at flow charts, graphs, orchestrating groups of people. And it's a good thing because the church needs people like that. These aren't mentors. These aren't exhorters. These people, oftentimes, they're not comfortable in a group of people. They like to be in an office with, you know, a computer program that lets them make a chart. So again, some of these people are extremely different. And he says, if you have the gift of mercy, he says, use it gladly. The gift of mercy is the gift of showing compassion. And I, I, when I think about this, I'm like, you know, I've noticed over the years, some people are good at it and some people are not, they're not good at it. Uh, you know, some, some of us try really, really hard, but we don't come across that compassion. I watch some people have the gift of mercy. I'm like, they didn't even try, you know? And they just, they just exude a compassion when they're with people. They love to visit with people who are hurting. They love to go to hospitals and, and visit people who are in pain. How many of you like that? See, not me. I don't like that, you know? But they love it. They're like, is anybody in the hospital this week? Because I just want to go, you know, love on them. And I'm like, yeah, you go for that. They're like the listening ear. They have the gift of mercy. They love to do that. So in Ephesians 4 and uh, in Romans 12, we get these gifts of some, uh, this list of some gifts. And then there's one other passage in 1 Corinthians 12 where we get another list of gifts. Now this is the list that you don't hear often in Baptist churches. The, we don't read this list a lot. Um, we avoid this list, and we love to explain away this list. I'm just going to read the list for you, okay? And uh, if it makes you uncomfortable, well, sorry. And, and uh, if you really love it, we'll just try to keep it down. So in 1 Corinthians 12, this is what he, he says. He's going to give us some more gifts. To one, there's given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. See, some of you are already nervous. So that he says some, some people have the, the gift of wisdom. Um, some translations give the word of wisdom. I think that the message of wisdom is a more literal translation. It literally means God has given some people the supernatural ability to take the Bible through the Spirit's leading and apply it to life. They just have an unbelievable ability to do that. So sometimes people be like, I know the Bible and I see my situation and I don't understand how they tie together. But people with the gift of wisdom, the Spirit shows them how to apply the Bible to their life. Those are, if, if you don't have that gift, it's good to know someone with that gift, to be able to apply that to your life. There's another one, to another, the message of knowledge. Now, some people think that this means that God just gives, um, like, you know, again, God tells some people the future, and they think that's what word of knowledge is. But the word knowledge literally in the Greek means the embodiment of learning or understanding. 
So if I'm going to take this in the Greek literally, what he means is God has given some people the ability to learn in a way like, you know, nobody else can learn. They, they can learn, they can study. And he's talking specifically, I think here, about the word of God. They can study it and they just pull things out. And, you know, some people hear what they learn and, you know, they're scratching their heads and, you know, where did you get that? But we need theologians in the church. We need people who can explain doctrine in the church. To some, the message of knowledge. To another, faith by the same spirit. Now, I, maybe you know people like this, but the, people have the gift of faith. They're the kind of people, like maybe there's a couple of you in, in the room, like maybe it's a husband and a wife, and they're talking about finances, and you know, maybe one of them's like, well, I think we should, maybe we should tithe, or maybe we should do a little more than the tithe, you know, but boy, I'm not really sure if we tithe, can we, can we pay the bills, can we do this? And a person with faith will go like, this is the person who'll be like, tithe, are you kidding? You know, we need to give like 20 or 30%. And the other person might be like, well, yeah, but I don't know if we can do that. A person with the gift of faith is like, of course we can do it. Because they just have this supernatural ability to trust God and trust him at his word in any situation. They're great people to have around because they like to kick us and challenge us and move us out to follow God more faithfully. To another, the gift of healing by that one spirit. Healing is just what it sounds like. This is the gift to bring a supernatural restoration to one degree or another to someone's body. People argue in the church today, is there still the gift of healing? Is there not the gift of healing? My view is, if somebody can supernaturally heal someone through the power of God, then I'm good with that. Uh, To another, miraculous powers. That literally means the operation of power of supernatural uh, power outside of the the natural laws as we understand them in accordance with the will of God. And you look in the New Testament and sometimes you'll see people like Paul and Peter who at times were able to exert the supernatural power. They apparently had the gift. Uh, He mentions also the gift of prophecy. Interesting thing about the gift of prophecy, it is the only gift that's mentioned in all three of these lists of spiritual gifts. Uh, to another, distinguishing between spirits. Um, literally, that, that idea means that uh, this is a person who could hear someone talk and they would be able to know the spirit behind what that person said. In other words, is it the spirit of God or is it the spirit of the devil who is a liar? In other words, these are people who can be in a room and they can hear someone teach they can hear someone say someone, something, these are people who apparently, uh, they can, somebody can walk in a room and talk for on leave and they'll be like, that person's lying, that person's hiding something. And again, there are people who argue about whether or not this exists today. I have someone in my life who I'm, I'm pretty con- convinced has the gift and I'm pretty convinced I have the opposite of that gift because I, I, and I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation and I've walked down and I've been like, wow, that was great, that was a great time. And she'll say, that person is really hiding something huge. You just wait. And she's always right every single time. Just you want to stay away from her. Uh, but anyways, I just, <laughs> does God give people that kind of gift? Uh, sometimes I want to stay away from her. Uh, distinguishing spirits. Uh, to another, uh, the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues. That, that literally means somebody who has uh, temporar- temporarily the ability to speak in a, in a language that they don't know. And when they speak it, they don't know what they're saying. And you can get an idea of this when you look in the book of Acts in the day of Pentecost. You know, there was a whole bunch of people, and this is basically the idea behind the gift of tongues, is there's a room full of people who spoke different languages, and on the day of Pentecost, God caused a lot of his disciples to begin speaking his truth to these other language-speaking people in the room. God was speaking through these, these believers to share the gospel with these unbelievers, and the people who were speaking, they didn't know what they were saying. 
And so this is, a, this is not, by the way, a, like an easy way to get through uh, Spanish in high school or something like that. That's not what this gift is for. It's for spreading the, the word of God. And then there's another one which goes along with it, which is the interpretation of tongues. And there's some technical aspects of this, which we're not going to get into to today. But this is someone who has the ability to hear someone speaking in tongues. And, and, and it's a language they don't know, but they're given the supernatural ability at that point in time to interpret what's being said to all of those who don't speak that language. Now, I want to mention to you that we kind of went through this really quick, and we're doing this for a reason, but if you'd like to come back and look at some of these gifts in detail with a little explanation and some other passages to look up and examples, um, on the back side of your notes, all the way at the bottom, I've given you a web address, and uh, we've been doing this during this series. I've got a page on there. Click at the top of the page on message 11, and I've got all this laid out on a website for you, and you can look at that and download that if you want. But here's a few things to remember as we think about all these different kind of gifts. First of all, all the gifts that we've looked at were not given to us so that, you know, we can like make a list and go, here are the gifts. There's, these are the only gifts there are, so I've got to figure out which one of these I am. That's not the purpose. You may indeed have one of those specific gifts. But I believe, again, there's some other gifts. Like, for instance, I believe the Bible says that hospitality is a gift. So there's many other kind of gifts that you can have that aren't in this passage. This is just meant to get us thinking about what spiritual gifts are and what they look like. And quite frankly, most spiritual gifts don't come with a definition. And again, as as I've given you some definitions this morning, you might be thinking, I've heard it explained differently. Well, you may have because they don't come with a definition. So you'll, you'll hear some debates, and I, I think when we debate about a particular gift, I think we're usually missing the point altogether. That is, God's given you a gift. You need to figure out what it is. Here are some ideas. Jesus decides who gets what gift. Notice what he says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as, notice, Christ apportioned, and that means measured. So what that means is, you don't get to choose your gift he decides for you. So there's no reason to be jealous of someone else's gift, right? Because that won't do any good. God's given you the perfect gift for you. And there's no reason also to look down on anyone's gift as being less than yours because every gift is important because it has been given to us by God. And then he goes on in the passage and he says a third thing. So he says, you know, the gifts come from God and uh, there's a lot of different kinds of gifts, but here's the point. You've got to discover your gift, He goes on in verse 16, and he says it's from him, that is from Christ. The whole body, he's talking about the church here, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. How do we discover our spiritual gifts? Well, in fact, the Bible doesn't give us a three-step process, uh, so I came up with one. Um, uh, What I want to just suggest for you is just some practical things that you can do to discover your gifts. First of all, you're going to have to just narrow down the field. So you may look and go, so what? There's, you know, 15 gifts, there's 21 gifts, there's 100 gifts. How, How do I know where to start? Well, a good thing to do is just to try to narrow down the field. So here at Gateway, we have something called a SHAPE assessment, S-H-A-P-E. It stands for Spiritual Gifts is the S. Uh, And so we have a spiritual gifts inventory we can give you. It's not going to tell you what your gift is, but it's going to help narrow down a little bit what your gift might be. Uh, The P in SHAPE stands for personality. We believe that God's given every one of us unique personalities that will work together with our spiritual gifts. So as we we discover what your personality is, then it kind of helps focus us down a little bit more. The H in shape is for heart. 
And that's about the things that you're naturally passionate about. Because again, I believe that each of us have a God-given passion. There are just some things, maybe it's teaching, maybe it's serving, but it really gets you excited. So we, we try to figure out what that is. Uh, S-H-A-P-E, and then the E is for experiences. Because we believe that God gives each one of us some unique experiences that help us become equipped to do the, the ministry that God's given us. Sorry, I forgot the A in shape. And that's for abilities. That's your, your natural abilities that also work together. I saw the looks on your faces. So sorry about that. S-H-A-P-E. All these combined together to help us discover. Now, when you do a shape inventory, and if you're interested in that, you can call the office, you can email us, and we can set up an appointment to go through that with you. It won't tell you what your gift is, but it'll help narrow it down. Then once you get it narrowed down, basically, here's my deep spiritual advice, and that is, I just do something, okay? So just be like, you know, well, here's my, here's, here's kind of my range of gifts, and so uh, I think uh, I'll, I'll, I'll greet people at church next weekend and hand out some bulletins and, you know, see what that's like, because some people absolutely love doing that. And you might find out that's your gift. Now, how are you going to find out if your gift is uh, hanging out in the foyer at the beginning and saying hi to people and greeting new people? There's only one way you're going to find out. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to try and see how it works out for you. Maybe it's, you know, helping out in, in the parking lot. Maybe it's mentoring somebody. How are you going to find out what it is? Well, you're going to have to get involved somewhere and try it out. So maybe you'll have to contact uh, Pastor Matthias with the youth group and say, I-, I need to try something. You know, is there some way I could get involved and get my hands on something? You might want to call Pastor Ken and say, I want to be involved in greeting or, or visiting with people some way. You might want to talk with Pastor Bill or, or, or Lee or someone or, or David, but pick something to do and try it out and see if that, if that works for you. And then look for the fruit. So you narrow it down, you try something out, but the question becomes, once I try something out, how do I know? if that's my gift or not? Well, that's a good question because it's not always obvious. When I was in high school, we had a, I grew up in Orange County, California, and my parents built a house up in the hills just outside of there with some acreage. And um, it basically in this acreage, there was, uh, it was an orange grove, and then on the sides of the hill were, were, were avocado trees. And so we cleared out a little bit of space and we put in a, a, a good-sized garden. And the first year we were there, right in the middle of this garden, this plant popped up. And this thing was like just growing like a weed, which I, I thought what it was, was what it was. So I, you know, I, I cut it out. And uh, about three months later, it started coming back again. And I, I, I chopped it out. And the next year, it started coming out. And I kind of clipped it down. And mid-year, clipped down. And the third year, it started coming up. And I thought, yeah, I wonder what this thing is. It keeps coming up every year in the same spot. So I got a shovel, and I dug down a ways. And I found a stump about this big round. So now I know that it's just, you know, this, this uh, sucker coming up from this stump and all of that root system is feeding that thing and I thought, I wonder what kind of tree it is. So I let it grow up and in the, in the first year, it, it got about eight feet tall in the first year. So I pulled a leaf off and I took it down in the nursery and I said, what, what kind of tree do you think this is? It's not an orange tree, it's not an avocado tree. And they looked and said, well, we're not sure. It might be some kind of nut, you know, or you're some kind of nut, we don't know. But, uh, you know, you... I said, well, how can I figure out for sure what it is? And they said, well, just, you know, let it grow. So the next year I let it grow, and it, you know, must have got about 12 feet tall or so, just, just taken over the garden. And the next year, it, it bloomed and it produced fruit. And it turns out it was a walnut tree. And in fact, as it turns out, and only Californians would do this, but walnut trees were native to the area. And so they came through and they chopped them all down and they planted orange trees, which were not native to the area. Um, Hence, you get Orange County, uh, which would have been, I guess, Walnut County, or probably more appropriately, just 
nut county probably. But anyways, uh, how did I know what kind of tree it was? Well, I waited for the fruit. I looked at the fruit. That's really what spiritual gifts are all about. How can you know what your gift is? You look for the fruit. See, here are some things that will, are not necessarily proof of your gifting. Uh, other people are impressed, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that that's your gift, right? Um, anyone seen American Idol? Okay, because there's a lot of people who think they're gifted singers. Why? Because all their friends are lying to them. That's why. So sometimes people aren't, they're just nice. Uh, or, or maybe you enjoy it, right? Now, that, that, that's great, and that might be a sign, but just because you enjoy it doesn't necessarily mean that that's your gift. Uh, just because the gift's inventory says that's your gift doesn't necessarily mean it's your gift. Just because someone else says this is what you should be doing doesn't necessarily mean it's your gift. Just because you feel burdened by God to do it uh, doesn't mean, it may mean you should do it, but that doesn't mean you're, it's your gift. The proof of your spiritual gift is that it always produces fruit. If you have the spiritual gift of evangelism, you'll know it because you'll be leading people to Jesus Christ left and right. You won't have to guess. You won't have to wonder. It won't matter what anyone else says. You'll know by the fruit. It brings glory to God and helps other people grow spiritually. So you got to discover your gift. And here's the last thing I want to mention as we close, and that is when it comes to spiritual gifts, you got to understand that you just got to use it or you're going to lose out because it's not enough to know about your gift and it's not enough to study it and discover it you've got to use it in first peter 4 10 it tells us this each one should what what does it say use okay not each one should you know study or or discover each one should use whatever gift he has received to notice to serve others faithfully administering god's grace in its various forms that's the purpose of gifts the decision all of us have to make is will we use our gift because here's what you're going to discover about your gift. In order to use your gift, it's going to cost you something. In order to use your gift, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. You're going to have to sacrifice some things if you're going to use your gift. You're going to have to make the decision. Just knowing what it is is not enough. It doesn't get you there. Again, in our passage in verse 16, notice what Paul says. Now, from him, from Christ, and he gives us this beautiful picture. He says the whole body, he's talking about the church, joined together joined and held together by every supporting ligament, that's the, the ligaments are, that's us, grows and builds itself up in love as each part, every single individual part, is what he means there, as every part does its what? Its work. As every part does its work. It grows and it builds itself up in love. Now we're gonna come back next week and talk about this concept in more detail, but I wanna mention this as we close. This is the result of using our gifts. When every believer in the local church uses their gifts, that's what causes the church to grow in love. That's what causes a church to grow in unity. That's what causes a church to become a brighter light for Christ. That's what causes a church to develop a greater faith to follow God. That's the thing that builds compassion and love for unbelievers in a church. That's the thing that makes church a very meaningful experience for everyone who comes. But it's conditional. And it's not conditional on the staff. It's not conditional on having the right program. It's not conditional on having just the perfect sermon series. It's not conditional on having a great worship band. Those aren't things that cause a church to grow in love. 
The things that cause a church to grow in love is when everyone in the church does its own part. See, as, as the pastor of the church, what Paul's saying here is, I'm, I'm really nobody special. I'm just one person in this church doing my part. That's all I'm doing right now. I'm just doing my part. I'm not doing it all. I can't do it all. I can't do your job. I can only do my job. That's all I can do. What makes a church grow in love? It's not me. It's got to be all of us. Now, I can tell you the one thing that God has really driven home for me in the last couple of weeks, and God kind of likes to do this when you're preparing to teach on something, but God has made it very clear to me that if the church's growth and love depends on me, our church is in huge trouble, okay? We're in big trouble. If I, if I cleared everything in my schedule, if I didn't study for sermons anymore, if I didn't do any administration and planning, and if everyone else on staff took all of their responsibilities and set them aside and did nothing to, to put together programs, and all we did was spend time with people in the congregation to try to shepherd and meet needs, we still wouldn't even be able to do that. There's too many people in this church for that to happen. So there's really no chance at all that our church will grow and become the church God wants it to be if we depend on the staff to do it. Now, as a staff person, it's my job to, to, to do my gift in this church. But what I'm saying is, every one of you are just as important to that process as I am. In Romans 12, 5, it says this, we are all parts of, of this one body, and each of us has different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the other. Every person has a God-given role to use their gifting to share God's grace with each other. And every time someone decides to get in the game, our church grows a little stronger, our love becomes a little stronger, our, our light grows a little bit brighter. But every time someone decides to sit it out, it kind of paints a different scenario for us. It's, it's hard for us, I think, maybe to imagine um, a church of, say, 800 people. It's easy to come to a church and say, I'm just one person. It, if, if I don't get involved, it doesn't really matter. If I don't use my gift, no one will really notice. But remember what Paul says. Paul says you're a family. <laughs> so think of it like a family for a minute. Imagine that you belong to a family with four people. A mom, a dad, and two kids. Now there's just four of you. Now imagine for a moment that one of the members of that family decides, I'm just going to disengage. Imagine one of the kids says, I'm not really interested in really trying to be a part of this family anymore. I'm just going to, I'm not leaving, but I'm just disengaging. Maybe some of you parents have experienced that. You know how, how painful that is. The kid may say, yeah, it doesn't matter. No one will notice. But everyone notices, don't they? What if the dad decides, you know what, this whole dad thing, this whole, you know, loving and sacrifice, it's such hard work. I'm, it's too much work. I'm just one person. What does one person matter? I'm just going to disengage. You know, I'm not leaving the family, but I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to actively try to go down a road anymore. I'm not going to serve my family. Now, of course, we all know what a difference that makes, doesn't it? When a father decides just to be selfish, when a father decides not to put any effort into loving his family anymore, when he lacks interest. A lot of times when dads do that, they don't understand. They really don't understand. They're not thinking about how that will affect their mate, how that will impact their kids, how it will impact their kids' future marriages, how it will impact their grandkids. They don't think about that. They're not thinking. They're not thinking about how it impacts other people. 
But in fact, we all know that it impacts everyone dramatically. We've seen that in families. Here's what Paul's saying. That's the church. Don't fool yourselves. It's easy to go, there's 800 of us. I can sit back. One person can sit back. Paul's like, no, you can't. Every single one of you have something unique to offer the church that no one else can offer. And if you pull back and disengage, the entire church misses that because no one else can do it. No one. So Paul says, I'm begging with you. Now forget Paul, I'm begging with you. (laughs) I'm pleading with you. God brings so many people every week into this church that need what you have to offer. God says, I want you to find your gift. I want you to use your gift. The growth and health of this church does not depend on me. It depends on all of us. Every single one of us. Next week, we're going to come back and look at this passage some more and talk about how to apply it to our life. But I want to ask you this question as we close today. Maybe you're here and and you are involved and you are using your gift. And I would just say, God bless you. And thank you for doing that. If you're here and, you know, maybe you're here and you're like, well, I used to do something and I don't know, I haven't really been doing anything lately. I'm not sure what to do. I want to encourage you to, to decide on a course of action today. Maybe you need to go talk to somebody who can help you. Maybe you just need to, you know, go talk to somebody in ministry and say, how can I help out? Maybe you're in that discovery phase. You need to take a, a shape inventory. But I just ask you as we close today, what could you do to take just one step forward in using your gift? Because I'm telling you, as your pastor, we need you. I need you. Every single person in this room needs you. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you that you have brought all of us together in this church because you have a job for us to do. Father, our job very simply is to worship and glorify you, grow closer to you, It's to love each other and it's to be a light to our community. And the truth is, and we know this, Father, none of us can do that on our own. We need each other in order to do that. We need to be a family. We are a body. Father, my prayer this morning for each one of us is that as your spirit has spoken to us, that we would just listen to your voice this morning. Maybe you've, you've called us to begin that process of figuring out what our gift is. Now I guess I would just pray this morning that, that we would take a practical step this week and begin to go down that road. Maybe for some of us that we just need to get up and volunteer and do something. We need to mentor someone or, or, or greet or work in a ministry or provide meals, but there's something practical we can do and we know we just need to make the commitment make the sacrifice and do it. I pray that this week we would take a step forward in following you in that way. Father, I thank you that you've gifted every one of us. None of us have to be spectators. We all get to play in the game. We all get to be an important and vital part of the team. You've told us that that's that's a fact. We are important. I thank you for that opportunity. And I pray for our church, Father, as you show us how to love one another that you will be glorified and that your church will become this glorious place where people are built up in their faith and drawn to Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said.